I'll uh, just need to tell y'all that I love you, this church, and um, I feel I, I, I was just getting ready to say that I know that you love me, and that means so much to me. And to be honest with you, that's why what I'm getting ready to talk about is, in a way, preaching to the choir, right? I, I, this, I, I, I want to talk about church membership tonight, <clears throat> and um, I think there's ways that Rayford Road can grow in our thinking in this. I think we can improve, but I also want you to know that um, more than any church I've ever seen, the heart of church membership, you get it. And, and you've shown it to me, and I know you show it to, to each other. And so I, I just want to just start by saying thank you. But let me, let me tell you why I want to talk about church, uh, church membership. Church membership is a topic that we've actually been studying uh, with the deacons. for We've been reading a couple books for maybe two months or so. And then on Thursday, uh, we got together, all the deacons, and Pastor Johnny and myself were there, and we just kind of talked through some of these books we were studying, and really just the general topic of church membership. Uh, and what I want to do tonight is just kind of present a shortened version. We, we met for three hours, so I'm, I told you I might go long, but not that long. <laughs> um, but I will just, just tell you, this is a little different. You know, typically what I try to do is just open up a Bible passage, and just do my best to explain it. Tonight, I'm really going to try to explain the topic, and we're going to turn to different passages, not just one to study, but different passages to try to help understand what is church membership. And I'll tell you that I have four goals. Uh, Mark and I talked about setting an agenda a little bit today. Here's my agenda for today, and there's a slide that's actually going to say it. My four goals is that when you leave here, you will feel equipped to answer four questions. Four main questions. The first one is, what is church membership? What, what do we mean when we talk about church membership? Second question is, uh, who can be a member of a church? Right. The third question is, uh, why? Why should you join a church? Why should you be a member of a local church? And the last question, not big concept, but specifically Rayford Road how would you join Rayford Road? How do you become a member here at Rayford Road? So those four questions, if you can leave here with a pretty solid, you feel really good about answering these four questions, then I'll feel like I've done my job well. So let's pray and ask that God will help us tonight. Dear Lord, we pray that as we think through church membership that you will unite uh, us, that you will bind us together, you will teach us to love in a way that the world will look on and say, they must serve a glorious God. So I pray that this will be informative and helpful. Uh, and I pray that you'll use tonight to be a foundation for a church that is growing, uh, as we've already been this year, and celebrating the family of God. I pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, let, me, let me start. I, I don't know. For some of you, this will be review. Maybe this is, will be new. The, I just want to talk a little bit about what do I even mean with, by the word church, right? So it, it seems obvious, but it's kind of a tricky word a little bit. The word church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, and that's used about, um, I'm trying to remember, something like 130 sometimes in the, New, in the New Testament. And really what the 
Let's see. Jesus 114 times in the New Testament. But all it technically means is gathering or an assembly, right? And so I'll just start off. When you think of church, it just means th- there's people that are gathered together. People who are gathered together. That's base meaning. Now, so you'll see sometimes in a, uh, on signs that you're driving down the road, the church, a church is people, not a building, right? The church isn't a building, it's people. That's exactly right. Church talks about a gathering of people, and it can happen any, anywhere. It can happen out in a field. It can happen in a house. It can happen in a, a building meant for worship like we do. That said, that's the easy part of church. The hard part is when the New Testament uses the term church, it usually uses it in a more technical sense. So even though it means gathering or an assembled group of people, it usually means it in a more technical sense. Of the hundred and, what did I say, there were 114 times that the word is used, um, six of them are this kind of general people are gathered together. I think twice it's used about the Old Testament gathered people. Uh, there's a couple of times where it just means just gathering in general. But of the 114, 109 of those are the New Testament's technical way of talking about the gathering of the people of God that we, call, that we think of when we call the church. Right? It's, it's, a, it's not just any gathering. It's a specific gathering. It's a, it's a gathering of believers. And even there, there's some more nuance there. Because of the 109 times that it's talking about what we think of church, uh, let's see, 13 of those is talking about a concept we call the universal church. So 109 times it's a gathering of believers, but 13, it's all believers everywhere from all times of life. So I'm a member of the universal church by virtue of faith in Christ, same as Martin Luther and Augustine and Paul and John. We're all members of the church. Thirteen times the New Testament talks about the church in this kind of big, universal, all-believers time. Out of 109, only, though, 13 is it talking about all Christians of all time. Most of them, most of the time, about 90, is talking about not all believers, but a small group of believers in a local place. We call this the local church. The universal church, or all Christians of all time and all places, the local church is a specific gathering of Christians that meet together regularly to worship God and to do things. This is what the Bible is most often talking about when it talks about church. So I just want to say the implication here is when the Bible talks to you about being brought into a church, being baptized into a church, we'll look at some of that tonight. But I just want you to know that this isn't some kind of mystical esoteric group that's out there. He's saying, I want you to be around actual real Christians that you're committed to, that you're close to. The teaching of the Bible about the church is talking about us real life working together. And so that's what we call the local church. And it's these local churches that the Bible expects us to be members of. So that's what I want to talk about. When I talk about being a member of a church, I don't mean being saved. I mean, what does it mean to join a local body of people? All right, that's the technical part of figuring out the words of church membership. So now let me give you the definition of my first question. 
What is church membership? And I'll read for you um, from the book that we studied together. This is the definition that, that we read. Uh, it's from Jonathan Lehman. This is one of the books we read. He wrote that church membership is a covenant of union between a particular church and a Christian. Right Now, I thought that's a great definition, but a little bit tricky. So I tried to give my own what I thought was a little bit simpler, you might disagree, definition. And my definition is that church membership is a mutual commitment, which I'm using commitment in replace of covenant. It's a mutual commitment between a Christian and a local church that binds the two into a single unit or a single union. So let me try to unpack that together. And I I will use his definition. I think it's helpful. Let me try to unpack that by starting with what in the world does he mean by a covenant of union? That's a, that's a, $5 $5 phrase, don't you think? That's super smart if I use covenant of union. Uh, covenant is a word that the Bible uses all the time, and it basically means a commitment, or uh, it's kind of like a contract. God makes commitments or covenants with his people. He makes promises to his people that bind him, right? So when David Praise to God. He says, God, remember your promises. Remember your covenant to your people. You've bound yourself to do this, right? And so he can call God on it. God, you've bound yourself. Um, the Bible also talks about marriage as a kind of a covenant. That a husband covenants with a wife to, be, to, to become one. And that we are binding ourselves together. We are obligating ourselves to each other. It's a sort of unwritten contract, It's a commitment that's being made to each other. Uh, And this particular commitment, he calls it a commitment of union. Right? We are agreeing to become one, to become unified, to become two separate things that are now one thing. Right? Now, here's what I want to be careful to make sure that we don't confuse this. Sometimes when we think of union, we think of being unified, we think that means that church members are supposed to get along. Right? And I do think that's true. We should get along. But that is not what I think or what I mean here. And I don't think that's what he means. It is not simply that we're supposed to get along. It's that we are supposed to become, in a sense, one. Right? So you might think America and England, right? We're, they're unified and that we get along. But that's not the kind of union I'm talking about. I'm talking about like Florida and the United States, right? So we can get along or not get along with, with England and nothing changes. But for Florida to break with the United States, they have to leave the union, right? The union is to, it can't exist without Florida being a part of it. That's the same way here. The church is a union that is made up of all of its members, And no one member can leave that without changing the very nature of the union itself. So here's the point that I really want to drive home here, is that when you as as an individual join a church, become a member of a church, you are changing your identity in such a way that we cannot fully understand you outside of your connection to the church in a way any different than I couldn't understand Florida without understanding that it's part of the United States, right? That you are so intricately connected to this body that that is part of your identity, right? Now, that seems extreme, right? Are you, I can't know, I can't rightly describe 
Debbie Stevens without explaining her connection to Rayford Road Church because she's a member of Rayford Road Church. And that you might say, well, is that an overstatement? I don't think so. Let me show you why. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is where the word member, why we call ourselves church members, uh, this is one of the places we get that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 This passage is fairly long. Let me just read verse 12 through 20. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. The ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose Um, If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. So when Paul tries to explain what our connection is with the church, he says one of the best illustrations I can give you is, is a body itself. That you are all different members, but you are connected in such a way that for you to be apart from it is a mutilation of the unit, of the body. You are connected. I'm not talking about you getting along, right, which you need to get along. I'm saying that the body is made up of you, that the body can't exist without you, that you are intricately connected to it. Even if you say, I don't want to be connected to it. If an ear said, I don't want to be connected to this body, well, that doesn't change anything. You are the body. You're connected intricately close. You are unified, right? So church membership is the mutual agreement between an individual and a church body to be unified, to become one in such that the member cannot be under, his identity is fully tied in to his connection with the body, right? There's, there's no glass of ears sitting somewhere and they're just ears. Ears only work in the body, right? We are connected to the body, let me just, another form of illustration before I move on here. The, this is why when Rayford Road sends a check, at, at the end of every year that I've been here, at the end of every fiscal year, we've written a check to First Coast Women's Services. And never have we written, signed the check from each of the members, right? This check doesn't come from Johnny and Mike and Bridget and Eddie. It, it doesn't come that way. It comes from Rayford Road Church, right? Because this is an act of one unified body. We do that the same way that I would never write my check from the fingers and ears and eyes of Nathaniel Simmons. No, it's one. The whole me acted as a part together. That's the church, right? You are one. You are one single solid unit, indivisible, without doing mutilation to the body, right? An indivisible whole. Even though there are parts... They cannot be divided without destroying, in some sense, the body itself. Um, 
there's, there's tons of other examples here. That was just one illustration. Uh, Peter calls us many stones that make one building, right? You, and you can't start taking away these stones without the building collapsing. Um, we are many people who are one holy priesthood. And there, there's this many being brought into one unit. And that is the most predominant way the Bible explains what a church is. It's the many that have been made into the one. Um, Ephesians 2, you were strangers and aliens, but God has now made you uh, fellow heirs, fellow partakers. He's bound us together, right? This is the primary teaching of what the church is. It's the taking of strangers and aliens in many parts and making them one solid unit. Um, so that's our first question. You feel like you can answer that. What do you mean, Sue, that you're a church member? I mean that I am intricately connected to the whole in the sense that there is no Rayford Road Church without Sue Combs. And there is no Sue Combs without Rayford Road Church, right? That we are together. We are connected in a way that is, a, that is deep and profound. Okay, well, who can be a member? Who can be a member of the choice? Now, I've emphasized over and over this is a mutual agreement thing. So let me explain Simple answer, who can be a member of the church? Um, I wrote up here, church membership is open to those who openly profess Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And now here, so church membership comes from people who profess, they're Christians, and are affirmed in that profession by the local church. This is a mutual coming together, right? A mutual coming together in which a person says, I'm a believer, and the church body says, that's right. You're with us now. So let me explain how I'm getting here. Uh, here, let's just do this. To explain it, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, we're going to find the first time that the Bible begins to talk about the church, right? In the Gospels, the word church is only used twice. It becomes very frequent and the epistles and in Revelation, but in the Gospels it's used twice. Once here, Matthew 16. I've been telling you to turn there, and I'm not turning there. In Matthew 16, Jesus has a conversation with Peter. Uh, he asks Peter in verse 13, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, this is, he's asking all of his disciples. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said that to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he is the Christ. So from this passage, what I want to show you is that Peter becomes the foundation of the church in light of his confession of Christ, that the confession of Christ is part of what connects him to this church.
But also, this, church, this passage shows us that Peter and the church by extension have the responsibility of accepting, affirming. The Bible in this passage calls it binding and loosing. And so let me walk through the passage and show you what's going on. Uh, Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter gives a uh, handful of what we call false professions. Right? They're professions of Christ, but they aren't the, the true, they're not a saving profession. They're wrong. I, Christ is a good teacher. He's Elijah. He's a prophet. He's something other than the Christ, the Son of the living God. These are false professions. But Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the true confession. And Jesus says to him, you're blessed, Peter, that you said that because it's evidence that God's working in you. You don't, you don't make a true confession on your own. You make a true confession because God has brought you here. He brought blessed are you, Peter, because God's doing something in your life. And in fact, because of this confession, he says, I am going to build my church here. You are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. There's a little bit of a debate here uh, among Christians whether God, Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church on Peter, the confessor, or on the confession. Uh, either way... A person who confesses Christ is the foundation here from which the church is built, is this right confession of which the church is beginning. And Peter is, is the first one. But we know that from, if we, if we were to skip ahead to Matthew 18, this responsibility of bearing the keys and binding or loosing, become the, they're in the hands of the whole church by Matthew 18. So we know that Peter whether he's the, initi the initial one that the church is built on, this is the foundation in which all Christians enter the church, right? It's through this right confession of God. Now, the interesting thing is you enter the church through a right confession, but there's a second thing that he says. Because of this, I'm going to give you, because of this right confession, I'm going to give you these keys, and the job of the key holder is to control, in some sense, who gets in and who gets out. Right? We know this because a little bit later in Matthew, Jesus is going to fuss at the Pharisees. Right? They were a sort of key holder. He says to them in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, because you're shutting the kingdom up in people's faces. You neither enter yourself nor allow those who would go in to go in, right? You are the door, the, the Israelites were the doorkeepers. They were the gatekeepers, the key holders, and they weren't letting anybody in. The story of Matthew, we've studied that in a lot of detail just recently, is God shutting off Israel from their key holding responsibility and starting a new plan, giving us keys to the church. And those keys are the church's responsibility to rightly accept or deny entrance into this church. Now, we would assume that it's mostly, hopefully, inviting people to come in, but we do know that there's some element of saying not everybody gets in. And we know that because the very next line, he says, those you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, but those you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Right? If you do your job correctly of bearing these keys, of being the entryway into the church, then people will come in, be bound in the church, and they'll also be coming into heaven. 
There will be times, though, when you say you can't come into church, and they, neither will they be going into heaven. And this is all going to be based on the recognition of a true confession of Christ. The same way Peter got in based on his confession of Christ, the church's job here is to be the gatekeepers, to say this is a true confession by which we will bind you to us or a false confession by which we reject you. Uh, I've mentioned Matthew 18 again. I feel like I'm starting to get deep. So let me get into Matthew 18 and then back it up and make sure we're all together here. Matthew 18 just gives us why we would lose somebody, right? I would lose somebody in Matthew 16 if I said Jesus is just a prophet or Jesus isn't really the Son of God. I may also lose somebody if in Matthew 18 they say, I believe that Jesus is God, but I'm not going to live in a way that reflects that, right? I'm going to continue in sin without repentance. And Matthew 18 says, then you need to say, you can't be part of our church. And Jesus says, when you do that, he says, remember, when you do that, I will be with you. When two or three agree together in my name on this, I will be with you because whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So that's how we know this binding and loosing is the action of recognizing a person's salvation or their profession of Christ to be legitimate, in which case we bind them to us. We say, you're part of our body and you're bound to us. Or we say this profession is evidently false, in which case you're loosed from us. Jonathan Lehman, in the book we studied, he, he said binding and loosing sounds strange to an English-speaking ear. He preferred the translation of sticking or unsticking, right? So when Sister Alton says, I profess Christ and I believe that's true, I say, then you're sticking with me. We're together, and we're walking this road together, right? We're in here. But if she says, I believe in a Christ who doesn't save, I believe in a Christ who, something wrong, I don't believe that I need to repent of my sin, I say, we're not stuck together. Right? We're not bound together because that's a false profession. So all of this was meant to be an answer to, a, to what seemed like a simple question. Who gets in the church? Right? The person who gets in the church is the person who professes Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and is recognized or affirmed in that possession, profession by the church. The church has the duty of binding and loosing based on the recognition of a true and false profession of Christ. That's our duty. Our duty is to say, Joel, you profess Christ, and now I'm binding you to me. What that does for Joel is, first off, says it, it affirms his profession in that it says, Joel, there, there's evidence that God really is working. Right? The same way when Peter professed Christ and Jesus said, you can't do that if God hasn't started a work in you. Say, Joel, I see evidence that God is working in your heart, so I'm binding you to me. That gives Joel a sense of assurance that he's really doing the right thing here. The other thing it does is it not only recognizes the beginning of his salvation, but it becomes the means by which he grows in his salvation. Joel, God's working in your heart. You're, you're with me now. You're, go, you're with me to the degree that I'm taking a responsibility for your continued growth and continued flourishing in your relationship with Christ. I'm binding you to me. You're in. And I'm making a commitment to me, and I'm expecting you to make a commitment. I'm making a commitment to you and expecting you to make a commitment to me. So that's what binding is, right? Who get, What is church membership? It's this act of binding. It's this act of saying we're a union, we're together, we're all in this together. Who gets in? Only Christians. Only Christians who not only do they profess Christ, but the church recognizes it to be a true profession. 
All right. I feel like this has got heavy, but hopefully we're, we're tracking. Uh, the next question, I think, will turn us to having fun with it, not just learning, but enjoying it. Why even join a church? Right? So I know what joining a church is, becoming a member of a church is binding myself to people. Right? I know, I know what, who can do it. If, if I'm a Christian, I'm expected to do that. I, I profess Christ and I, I get into the church uh, as long as the church says, we agree, you do appear to be a Christian. But why do it, especially when this binding is going to require some sacrifices on my part? Right? When I bind myself to somebody, I'm, I'm accepting a certain level of inconvenience in my life. I'm, I'm accepting a certain level of my life is not my own anymore. Right? The ear doesn't always get to listen to what the ear wants to if the eyes and hands turned it to the wrong radio station. Right? I mean, so sometimes I don't get to control my own life. I'm part of a body. Why put yourself through that? Let me give you four reasons. These are four things we discussed in our deacons meeting, uh, and, they, and I'll admit to you, they're all completely stolen from Mark Dever, who contributed to one of the books we read and videos we watched. He said, there's four major reasons that you should bind yourself to the church, that you should become a member of the church. And the first one is that church membership is our witness to God's love. Church membership is our witness. It's the way the world knows that we love God and he loves us. Church membership is how we show the world we're connected to the love of God. And here's, here's how he says this, how he proves this. John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love not the world, that you love one another. Your evidence to the world that you are making a, a true profession of faith in Christ is that you love the church. Now, practically speaking, you cannot rightly love a church that you will not commit yourself to. I cannot claim to, same as, same as marriage, right? I bet some of you have known a girl who has had a boyfriend for 20 years who will never marry her, and she thinks he loves her, and you're saying, no, if he loved you, he would commit himself to you, right? The same is true of the church. You cannot say, I love this church, but I will never commit myself to it, right? Commitment and love, they go together. We just know that. You just watch it, and you can see it. But it applies to us, too. It's a sword that cuts both ways. I cannot say that I love the church if I do not commit myself to her. And if I do not commit myself to her, the world will have no evidence that I love God or am loved by him. There's no evidence that I'm a true disciple of Christ outside of commitment to his body. So it's our witness to the world. This is how the world will know that we are his disciples. We commit ourselves to love one another. Another reason that we, you should join or you should be a member of a local church is that it provides you with the assurance of love. How do I know that I am loved by God? Because I'm a church member. There's two reasons that this works. One is the day that Mike joined Rayford Road Church, Rayford Road Church said, we affirm that this is a true profession that could only have come if God was working in your heart. 
from the evidence that we see, from all the knowledge that I have, I'm affirming, Mike, that God's doing something in your heart. Now, what's true in most of our lives is that we go home and we get plagued with doubts. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'm not the real deal. You know, maybe I don't believe enough. Maybe I don't have enough faith here. Church membership is where a body of people who you trust to know God and be in right relationship say, from the fruit we see, God's working in you. Trust us. God's doing something in your heart here. It's a source of affirmation, a source of confidence in your own walk with God when a church takes seriously their duty to affirm you. It helps you put your head on the pillow at night and say, I'm rightly related to God because the tr- other people see it. They wouldn't have let me in Rayford Road if they didn't see it. Uh, practically, that's how we see that. First John tells us not only that, your commitment to this body is evidence that you love God. Let me read from 1 John 4. 1 John 4, verse 17. By this, love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Let me pause. 17 said, love is what gives you confidence in the day of judgment. The fact that you love one another is the reason you'll stand in front of God with confidence. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If If you commit yourself to one another, to the body, you only do that because he first loved you. I'm assured that he loves me because I couldn't love this body if he didn't love me first. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Right? First John is telling you, if you want assurance that God has worked a real, miracle, life-changing thing in your heart, commit yourself to loving one another. And one another, now, we are supposed to love the world, right? To, to love, not a love of the world, but love the people of the world. But this is not talking about that. This is talking about one another. This is talking about loving your brother and sister in Christ. The evidence that you have been saved by God is that you commit yourself in love to the people of God. Conversely, the evidence that you have not been saved is that you say, I love God, but not his church. You say, I love, I, this is me and God. I don't, need, I don't need the other people. You can't say that. Says you can't say, I love God, but I hate my brother, because you are a liar. You have deceived yourself. Love comes from God. So you should join a church because, one, that's the way the world sees God's love. That's our witness to love. Two, that's the way you know God's love in that you know that it's in your heart and it's saving you from your sins because you have joined this church. Let me tell you another way, uh, another reason you should join a church. You should be a member because this is how you learn to love, right? Uh, It trains us in the nature of love is the way Mark Dever said it. 
Here's what he basically meant by that, is that we think we know what love is. And then we try to love somebody, and we find out not so, I didn't understand it as well as I thought. I, I assume everyone who's married understands this, right? I thought I loved Canon, and then in the day in and day out, I learned a whole new thing about what love is. It's not just, now it is included the happy feelings I have for her, but it's also the commitment of day in, day out love, regardless of any circumstances that are going on. Marriage trains me to learn love in the way God understands love. The same is true of church membership. Mark Dever said, it is the nature of loving real people that it will be really difficult and inconvenient. Right? The nature of loving people in this church is that some of the people in the church are not going to be easy to love all the time. And that's how you learn to love like Christ loved. Unless, of course, you think, oh, I was easy to love for him. I learn what love is when I learn to love the people he's entrusted me to love. I learn the parameters of love. I learn the, what love looks like. Right? I mean, I, we kind of mentioned the idea of loosing. I learned that it is not loving to let somebody lie to themselves. You feel loving when you say, I'm just not going to address the sin in their lives. Parents who have children who have walked through drug addiction, I hear this from them all the time. Part of us learning to love our children was learning not to enable them to continue in their sin. But that didn't come natural. It doesn't come natural to learn that enabling somebody is not loving. I mean, I mean, it makes sense from up here, but in life, you have to learn that by walking through it. Church membership teaches us to love. Last one. Church membership, you should become a church member because church membership results in the glory of God. So you're a Christian. You say, I love God. I desire him to be glorified. Then Committing yourself to be a member of a local church, to be in union, not just getting along with people, but to say, I'm committed myself to them, will show the world the glory of God. Look at 1 Peter 2. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 is interesting because we had uh, tons of examples in 1 Peter 2 about how God has taken individuals and made them into one. Uh, in verse 4, Jesus is a living stone rejected by men. He says, but you yourselves were all stones. You were living stones, but you've been made into a spiritual house, a, right, a single house. You were stones, now you're a house. You are a, not, you are a bunch of priests. You are a priesthood, right? Um, to offer sacrifices, you were saved so that you can worship God through your life to offer these sacrifices, uh, in verse 9, you have become a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. God has saved us and put us into a body for the purpose of us proclaiming how awesome he is. And in verse 10, once you were not a people, right? You were strangers. You were just a bunch of stones that weren't connected. But now you are God's people once you had received mercy, but now uh, you, have received, you had not received mercy. Now you have 
So I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he's saying, I, what I have done is I've taken a bunch of people who were not connected and I have taken like bricks that were scattered around and I have turned them into a single building so that they can proclaim God's excellencies. And I want you to do so, proclaim his excellencies in a way that shows love for each other and honorable living. And if you do, the world, the unlooking world who reject God will see the way you love each other, to see the way you behave honorably, and they will glorify your God and Father on the day of his visitation. Which is a crazy thing to think that there's going to come a day in which God will return to judge the living and the dead, and there will be people who have rejected him as king and will say something to the effect of, but you must have been a good one because you took all of these separate stones and people and strangers and aliens and you taught them to love each other and live rightly, you must be a good king, even if I have rejected you. Right? That's what the church is meant to do so that no one has an excuse before God. They've seen what God can do to strangers and aliens to people who are not connected. He can build them into a union, a single unit that ministers to the world, that lives righteous. We were once darkness, walking in, in darkness. Now we're proclaiming the excellencies of his light that has saved us out of this. He can take a president-elect of a fraternity house and make him a pastor, and people will say, God must be good. God must be good. So why should you join a church? You should do it because our commitment to love each other, to be bound and unified together in love in such a way that you cannot distinguish me from the body without doing damage to me or the body. We should do that kind of, we should make that kind of commitment because one is it shows the world what the love of God is and what it has done in our hearts. Two is it shows us that God has loved us gives us confidence um, as we all one day will face our death. We can face it in confidence because we were committed to his body, right? It teaches us to love here on earth. It teaches us what love really looks like. And it proclaims to a lost and dying world that God is truly glorious. That's why church membership is a really big deal. Right? Church membership really matters. Joining yourself to this body really matters. And, and to be honest, I think we've only scratched the surface. But it's all a mistake. So let's talk about how you can join Rayford Road Church specifically. Uh, many of you already have. There may be some people that say, I've been thinking about joining. I've never really done it. But I, you know, I want the world to see that I'm his disciple. I want to have assurance of my salvation. Let's, I need to go ahead and join the church. So well, how, how would you do that? What I've copied here is straight out of our church constitution. Our church requires four things. Uh, these four things were written, 
I don't, I don't know when the Constitution was written. It was before I got here. So, uh, but I think they are awesome. Good, four really good things. Uh, the first thing that you have to do to join the church is publicly confess the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Uh, it says, and, their, or, and your Lord and Savior. I think the second time it says the Lord Jesus as Savior, I think, is actually a typo in the Constitution, but I copied and pasted it, so... You're supposed to say sick, comma, with the SSC, right, if you're writing a paper. Um, ignore that. If you want to join the church the same way that Peter joined the church by profession of Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What Peter had to do to join the church, you and I have to do. There is no membership in Rayford Road or any church outside of public profession of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, we don't, this first point isn't even Rayford Rose's prerogative to take it out. You know, this, we're biblically, we have to do this one. We have added the second point, is that Rayford Road requires that all members go through a new member's class, uh, new member's orientation. And, and the purpose of this is that if we're making a mutual commitment to each other, we need to know what this commitment is, right? The purpose of a new members class is it's a chance for the church or at least representatives of the church to get to know the person that wants to make the commitment. And it's a, church, it's a chance for the people making the commitment to know the church, right? We need to know you to know if your profession is affirmable, right? I can't just, if, if somebody just randomly shows up and say, I want to join your church, I believe Christ. I don't have enough information to know what you mean when you profess Christ, right? You, you could mean that you're professing him as a prophet like Muslims do. I need, to get to, I need to have some conversations. And the church membership orientation class is a chance for us to get to know you better and a chance for you to get to know us better so that everybody commits to each other with their eyes wide open, right? It's just... It's just an attempt to be loving to everybody involved in the commitment. Um, baptism or statement of baptism. This is, there's a list of all the requirements for baptism. Uh, the one that I think is interestingly missing from this is what we already read, 1 Corinthians 12. Right. So how, how do I become a member of a, of a church? Well, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body, right? And so we believe that the act of baptism, according to 1 Corinthians 12, is intricately tied to member of membership in a local church. I cannot be, when the Holy Spirit baptizes me into the church universal, then I am simultaneously being baptized into, if, if we're doing it correctly, into the church local, right? There's no such thing as a Christian who is a member of the church universal but has no use for the church local. And so we do this together. If you don't, if you refuse baptism, though Christ has clearly commanded it, though the Bible instructs it, you're, you've misunderstood what it means to call Jesus Christ as Lord. So there's no point in admitting a, Bible, a member who says, but I won't obey him in baptism. And once you are baptized, then the Holy Spirit is He's infusing you into the body. The baptism is you're buried and then infused, baptized into the body. So for, for Rayford Road, baptism is uh, part of how we 
work into church membership. Now, we still believe, just like 1 Corinthians 12 says, one baptism, right? So if you were baptized at another church, we're not rebaptizing you. You just need what, what it says here, right? A statement of baptism, that I was baptized somewhere else. But no one will join Rayford Road who has not been baptized. Uh, the last thing is, whoop, that could have been really embarrassing. The last thing we need is a majority vote of acceptance by the whole congregation. This is, I think, A, awesome. That this is in our Constitution. And B, is just a clear outwork of the concept that it is not an individual who holds the keys. It's not an individual who binds and loose. It's the church. It's the body, right? The, the same way my finger doesn't write a check, my, I write a check. A person, a pastor, a deacon, they don't bind and loose. The church binds and looses, right? So this is why in Matthew 18, when you have church discipline, as a finger, I might go to a friend and say, ah, you need to repent here. If he doesn't do that, I might bring a couple more. But when it comes time to do the loosing, the whole church has to gather together. Nobody, including the pastor of the church, is equipped to do the task of binding and loosing. Only the body can bind and loose. So it is our responsibility to say, I affirm this salvation. Now, of course, we might do that on trusting other members of our body, right? We might say, Pastor Johnny, we're the ears that listen to it, and I'm a finger, so I'm trusting the ears that you listen to it right. There might be some trust in that, but we collectively, as a unit, bind and loose together. We are welcoming somebody into membership of the church, not as individuals, but as a body. And then they become part of that body. So that's why uh, you don't become a member at the end of new member class. You have to wait until you get here and the church can say, as a body, we affirm you. All right. That was a lecture on church membership. I hope that it was helpful. Let me do a little bit of application here, some, some things that I hope will turn this not to just head knowledge, but working it out in our lives. Some of us know people who we've said that we've bound to this body, but they do not seem to be connected. We've made a commitment to bind them we've never loosed them, right? We've never said that you're not part of the body, but we have watched them drift away without pursuing them and bringing them back to the fold, right? We've committed ourselves to these people, and as we see them not in regular connection with this body, we are not living up to our end of the bargain. Church membership is not merely a person's commitment to the church. It is the church's commitment to the person. We are saying we are binding you to us, and you can't get out of here until we figure out that this is a false profession, but until that's done, we are pursuing you doggedly. And so I think that all of us know of people that we need to pursue, right? That we need to, we need to live up to our end of the bargain here. And so my first application that I'm asking of you is to do it, to pursue some people that you've made commitments to and you've let that commitment kind of slide. Um. Let me make a, something I meant to say earlier, but this will kind of be another application, but 
Not exactly. A lot of you joined the church without fully having these four things happen. Uh, for instance, I, I don't think there was a new... Miss Mavis, you were the first person to join the church, so I don't think there even was a new members class when you did, right? It was, we were all new members, right? So there was no class to have. Since then, you know, some things have been formalized and things have changed. Uh, this doesn't mean that you're not a member, right? But what, what I still would like for us all to do, and this is something, to be honest, that uh, as pastors and deacons, we have to figure this out. How can we go back and make sure that we're helping you be acquainted through this process? And so it's going to be tricky, and I don't know what we're going to do, because usually new members classes on a Sunday school hour, and Sorry, Ms. Mavis, you can't leave the kindergarten class, right? We need you too much. And so we're going to have to figure out how do we help us get to know you and you get, and, and to be honest, I say you as half jokingly because we know you, but it's, it's our responsibility to, to help our members walk through this process, even if they're already members, because the process is helpful. It's a good thing. And so that's something we'll be working on and doing, but just don't think, oh, I didn't do this part of the thing, and so maybe I'm not a member anymore. I, I just didn't want to communicate that tonight. I, I just know that the process has come along. It's evolved over time, and, and nobody's been kicked out of the church tonight. <laughs> um, but that said, one of the things I want to apply, actually, this came up on Thursday night. I feel like I would like you to apply this passage by accepting me as a member of the church. And that seems weird because you think, isn't the pastor a member of the church? Stanley helped me understand this on Thursday night. So here's what happened when I became a member of Rayford Road. When I became a pastor, I came in and had a small interview with the people that we had. And, and they said, we're going to hire you to come in. And I think you even voted to bring me in as a pastor. But at no point had I walked through a process in which you said, we recognize your affirmation of the gospel and affirm that the fruit of your life seems to be in line with your profession of faith. Uh, and so I kind of feel like I slid under the radar. I kind of snuck in the back door here, and now I'm in the pulpit. And you should be worried about that. <laughs> um, you, you should be, I, I'm putting myself out here because I'm going to ask you to say, as a church, no, we, we recognize that you have professed Christ. We recognize that that seems to be a true profession, and we are committing ourselves to bind you to us, right? And so that if you start to see me floundering, which I, you, I already believe you have this commitment, but I want it to be formal, that if you start to see me floundering, you're saying, I'm not going to let him go. I'm going to make a dogged commitment to make sure that Nathaniel doesn't fall off the radar for us. He's a member here, and I'm committed to him. And so, um, in a lot of ways, I think that's already happened informally. I, don't, I want it to be formal, and partly, too, because I want it to be formal, but partly, too, is because I want to encourage some of the people in this church who may have always considered themselves informally a member. So let's make that formal. Let's actually make the commitment. And actually ask our brothers and sisters here to make that commitment to us. Um, so you know what I'm going to do? This is, this is kind of awkward. But I'll tell you right now, 
that uh, I do profess Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord. And what I'm going to ask of you is to say that if you agree to accept me into your body, I'd like you to say amen. Man, I've been sweating that all day long. <laughs> all right, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pray now and close. And just what I'm going to do is, A, thank God that he has joined us as a body. What an awesome thing. Two is I'm going to ask that he will open our eyes to how we can pursue those members of our body who are really on the sidelines that have drifted, and we have not pursued them as we ought. So if you'll pray with me.